This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by The Wisdom of Hobbits, by me, Matthew J. DiStefano. In this hopeful yet at times poignant homage, I focus on everyone's favorite halfling friend, the Hobbit. A charming people, this Shire-based race has captivated, enthralled, and enchanted the hearts and minds of millions. And though they're not a religious society, I argue that spiritual truths, love, kindness, generosity, hope, and even compassion can be found within their familiar yet still relevant and didactic tales. So come and enter a world of adventure and intrigue. Whether it's your first foray into Middle-earth or the Shire is your second home, allow me to inspire you toward discovering your own inner hobbit. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your fine, fine books from Choir Publishing. This is Todd Vick, author of The Reconstructing of Your Mind, and I take my coffee the way I take my theology. Strong, hot, and eye-opening. That's why I love the Second Cup with Keith podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. Uh, In this episode, I want to talk to you about really one of the most controversial things I believe I think I ever talk about. I mean, out of all the things that I've posted about or done podcasts about or written books about, Believe it or not, the most controversial and scandalous thing I believe I've ever, ever talked about is love. And oddly enough, it seems that Christians are usually the first to complain and the loudest to complain. Um, I've been accused of talking about love too much, which I've always thought was odd um, since God is love. I'm not sure how it's possible to talk about love too much if God is love. So, uh, what else am I supposed to talk about if I'm not going to talk about love, uh, if I'm going to be discussing theology? Uh, you know, Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so if love, if faith is expressing itself through anything other than love, we might want to be suspicious. One of my favorite passages uh, is where Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 15, um, he starts to talk about just how amazing love is. And I I don't know about you, but when I read Ephesians 3.15, I I feel like I can detect Paul's rapture and excitement and, uh, you know, just how, how, how much he wants people to understand. He's grasping for the words, it feels like, to just talk about, to express uh, to the church in Ephesus, how amazing the love of God really is. And uh, I'm just going to read it. He says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in, in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And the important thing to remember is that love isn't something that originates with us, uh, that it really begins with God. Uh, It says in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 10, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. 
This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And of course, we all know Jesus summarized the greatest commandment uh, by saying that in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, the greatest command is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so these two things are connected directly. And so if we are hoping and desiring to live out this faith expressing itself through love, then we have to understand something that it's that we we have to first learn how to receive love from God if we ever hope to fulfill this command that Jesus gives us here. Why? Because love comes from God, right? Uh, not, it's, not, it's not that we love God, it's that God loved us. God is love. And so the first thing is that we have to remove any barriers in our mind, in our heart, in our life that prevent us from receiving this extravagant, amazing love of God that, as as Paul struggles to say in Ephesians 3, um, we need power from the Holy Spirit just to even grasp how high and wide and long and deep it is, that it transcends knowledge. And so it has to begin with that. We have to learn how to receive the love of God. So listen, if we don't receive love from God, then we're never going to be able to love others. Because again, love comes from God. So we have to receive this love from God, be filled with the love of God so that now we can love our neighbor as ourselves. And we also then have to learn how to receive love from other people, right? We have to complete this uh, this circuit. So if we hold one another or God at arm's length, it, if we never really allow ourselves to be loved by God or by other people, we're never going to be able to fulfill our our calling, our, our identity um, as people who are made in the image of God, who is love, right? We can't fulfill this. Uh, we have to, re- to reach our full potential as people who love God and love one another the way Jesus suggests that we do. We have to learn how to receive love. And so I would just ask, take a second and, and, and you know, assess your own ability uh, in this area. How are you? How good are you? receiving love from anyone. Now, I think if we're honest, a lot of us would probably admit that it's not easy to accept love from other people or even from God sometimes. Um, It's often difficult for us to accept even a compliment from somebody, right? Or any kind of affection or kindness or appreciation from other people. That's usually the first sign that we're not doing really good at receiving love if we can't even receive a compliment or a thank you or an appreciation from someone else. Um, but but why is it? Why do we have this uh, inability? Why is it so much of a struggle for us to receive love from God or receive love from other people? Well, um, and I've talked about this quite a bit, I believe, on this podcast. My theory is that most of us have been programmed by our own theology, by our Christian pastors and and sermons and services and, and Bible studies. We have been programmed by the Christian church quite often uh, to believe that we are unworthy of love. We are worms. We are wretches. There's nothing good in us. Our thoughts are evil all the time, right? Uh, what Calvin, Calvinists call total depravity. So this strong connection between 
loving God and loving others is something that Jesus actually points to even when he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it's something that I noticed only recently that in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus is teaching us to pray, he doesn't teach us to pray, my Father who is in heaven, or give me my daily bread, or forgive me of my trespasses or sins. No, that prayer is a is a prayer to our Father, right? It's it's acknowledging not just my connection to God, but my everyone's connection to God, and then therefore my connection to everyone. That if He's my Father and your Father, if He's our Father, well, then we are all in this family of God together. Uh, Jesus encourages us to pray for our daily bread, for our sins to be forgiven, not just mine but we want forgiveness for everyone. Why? Because we recognize, again, that we are all connected to God and to one another. And that's the reality. But to fully experience it, our connection to God and our connection to others, we have to have sort of the grease in the gears, which is love. And so even though it might be true that we are connected to God and we are connected to one another, if we are not expressing it and receiving it and experiencing it in love, in genuine love, are we fully experiencing the complete reality of what that's supposed to look like? Um, So when Jesus gives us this Lord's Prayer, this prayer of connection and community, I believe it's designed to remind us that we cannot say we love God if we don't also love one another because we're members of one family, right? In John 14, 20, Jesus says something really, really astounding. And he says this, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and my Father is in me, and I am in you. Now, if we tor- if we try to visualize that, if we try to draw that on a piece of paper, um, or if we try to, if we try to like sort of visualize it as some sort of a cosmic Russian nesting doll, <laughs> that okay, um, you know, Jesus is in the Father, but the Father is also in Jesus. But then Jesus is in us. That means Jesus and the Father are in us, and they're in one another. And so, like, it it, it kind of breaks your brain a little bit, right? How can Jesus be in the Father if the Father? is also in Jesus, and then Jesus and the Father are also in me. And then it's not just true of me, it's true of everyone. So this permeation of Christ and the Father uh, of God is in me and in you and in everyone, right? Uh, The Apostle Paul expresses this same kind of paradox like this. In Colossians 2, starting in verse 9, he says, For in Christ the whole fullness of God dwells in bodily form, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now again, that's kind of mind-blowing if we just sit and meditate on that. In Christ the fullness of God is in bodily form, and now we have been filled with Christ who is the fullness of God, right? Um, and elsewhere, we also have another kind of mind-blowing uh, reference where in Ephesians, going back to Ephesians again, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, where Paul says that 
we are filled with the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. And then going back to Colossians 3.11, Paul reminds us that Christ is all and is in all. Now, these are mind-blowing ideas, right? It's getting to this concept of the illusion of separation, right? We believe, and sometimes even in our theology, we are taught that there's a separation between God and mankind, typically because of our sin, that we are separated from one another, whether that's by uh, gender, by race, by religion, uh, by nationality. There's all these things that divide us, right? And for the most part, we accept that. We accept that and embrace that reality of of disconnection and separation. But what I find interesting is that in Christ, all of those things get reversed. You ever notice this? Because um, Paul says, you know, uh, I think he says it in Galatians, right, that now in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, so the, that racial division is 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 removed. Um, slave or free, that economic division is removed. Male or female, so now the gender uh, division is removed. And and you could just keep carrying it on. Old or young, uh, gay or straight, uh, American or Russian, uh, or whatever, right? You could, you could just continue to recognize that this is, this is really the spirit. This is the point of what Paul is trying to say in that verse. And he ends by saying, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so um, all of these reversals, oh, sorry, all of these divisions get um, erased in Christ, right? We become one holy nation in Christ. All the other nationalities, all the other divisions and, and concepts of nations uh, in Revelation, this is kind of what it's all about. They're erased. They're destroyed. They all. It says that all the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God. And that's less about domination and political authority and power. Um, it's more about all of those illusions of division being absorbed into the oneness of the kingdom of God and of Christ. So, I guess simply put, we we cannot escape the presence of Christ because Christ is all and is in all. Because we are filled with the fullness of Christ and Christ fills everything in every way, right? Um, and so, have we have we come to the day, as Jesus said in fourteen in John fourteen twenty? Have we come to the realization, as he as he promised, that the day would come that we would know that Christ is in the Father and the Father is in Him, and they are in us? So, have we really truly understood that? And I think it's really fascinating. You know, it goes back to Psalm 139.7, where, where David says, Where can I go from the presence of God? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. And if I descend even to the to the grave, there you are. So there is nowhere to go where God is not. There is nothing anywhere that is not filled with the fullness of Christ. The, the Christ who fills everything in every way. This is why Paul could say to these idol-worshipping pagans, in Athens, uh, as we read in Acts seventeen twenty three, uh, he says to them, even them, these unbelieving pagans worshiping idols, Paul affirms to them, God is your father. 
And you are God's children, and this unknown God, who is Christ, is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. Right? It's kind of like two fish swimming along in the ocean, and one of them says to the other, Wow, the water is pretty cold today. And the other fish says, What's water? (laughs) Because we are permeated, surrounded with this idea of God and without of Christ, who fills everything in every way, right? That Christ is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. And so whether we believe it or know it or realize it or not, we are all sort of swimming in, permeated with the presence of Christ. So are you separated from Christ? Well, no, it seems like that's an impossibility. Where could anyone go to to be, to experience separation from, from God or from Christ? That's impossible. So no one and nothing is separated from Christ because Christ fills everything in every way. And so this is why I believe that Paul could say in Romans 8.35, where he could ask this kind of rhetorical question, can anything then separate us from the love of Christ? And then he emphatically answers his question a few verses later by saying, no, I am convinced that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not the future or the past, and no power, no height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that's exciting. <laughs> um, and yet, listen, I, I get it. Sometimes we don't experience that incredible connection with God or that amazing love of God, right? Sometimes we do. We feel alone. We feel like God is far away. We feel as if our prayers, you know, go nowhere. And we say, God, where are you? Are you even there? Do you hear me? Do you care? Do you see my life, what I'm going through? Do you know my thoughts? And as real as those feelings might be to us, we have to remember what is true. We have to embrace what is real. And the reality, I believe, is this. God is not, no matter how you feel, God is not separated from you, and you are not and will not and cannot ever be separated from God or from the love of God for any reason at any time, ever. And so, not only are you and I forever infused with this presence of Christ and this never-ending love of God, we're also forever connected to everyone else around us, everyone who's ever lived or will ever live. And again, now that's a next level sort of uh, mind-blowing revelation and, and uh, paradigm shift for a lot of us. It's, it's hard enough to for most of us to, to grasp what I've said just to this point, right? The idea that, that Christ is in everyone and everyone is in Christ and, and all that. But then to take it to the next level and say, well, if that is true, then we are all connected not just to Christ as sort of these separate individual little grains of sand or little uh, individual little, you know, uh, well, just individuals, individual separate people, that somehow we're one with Christ but separate from one another. No. Um, We are all connected because we're all in Christ. (laughs) Uh, We're all connected to one another as well. And so I believe this is why Jesus could pray this astounding prayer in, in the Gospel of John 
21, he prays this. He says, Father, I pray that they, that's you and me, that they will be one even as we are one. So, again, stop and think about this. In what ways are Jesus and the Father one? In what ways are Christ and God one? Does that does that mean they just get along with each other? Do they just tolerate each other? Well, no. Um, many of us would say that we believe that Christ and the Father are one. They're so one, they're so connected that you can barely tell where one of them ends and the other begins. Right? There's this 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 unity that that could never ever be separated. Right? And that's what Jesus prays for us, that you and I, that all of humanity would be one in the same way that Christ and the Father are one. That's what Jesus wants us to understand, that Christ is in us, that we are in Christ, that we are one with Christ and with God, and therefore we are one with one another. And by the way, uh, just to kind of blow your mind a little bit, this is exactly what quantum science teaches us about humanity, about ourselves and the, the entire universe that we live in. I've been, I've been reading and studying some books on quantum science, and um, this seems to be the, the, the same kind of conclusions that they're coming to. That this, uh, this, uh, that's the, the idea that objects and, and, and energy and matter are each sort of separate things. Um, that that really is an illusion. That the reality is that everything we see and experience is quantumly entangled in ways we cannot fully explain or understand. So in other words, there are not separate things in this universe that the universe is one, sort of one continuous field of frequency and energy. And the things that we see and perceive as separate are really just different forms of the same field and the same energy. And so, um, which I find fascinating, right? Uh, one of the books that I was reading said that, you know, for the longest time, uh, science and materialist scientists and philosophers have struggled to answer the question, how does consciousness arise from matter? Um, or, you know, why does consciousness arise in the human brain uh, as opposed to something else like, a, a you know, a tree or a rock or a banana or something? Um, but that, 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 as much as that question has has perplexed philosophers and scientists who are materialists who believe that that there is no soul there is no nothing spiritual it's just you know the the, the universe is made of just atoms and matter then it thinking it's it's it is that that perspective that materialist perspective has struggled to explain consciousness and what quantum science is now unveiling to us is is that that's the wrong question that the question we should have been asking all along is, how does matter arise from consciousness? So in other words, the essential and most fundamental force in the universe, according to quantum science, appears to be consciousness, not matter or material objects. In fact, one quantum scientist I was reading recently said that we should not think of the universe as a great... um machine, in other words, composed of sort of material components, um, but that rather what we are learning through quantum science is that the universe is a great thought, 
or a consciousness. And um, so anyway, all of that to say, there really is no them. There is only us. There is no separation from God. And that means there is nothing separating us from one another. We really truly are one in Christ. And so when you read Jesus saying something like in Matthew 25, whatever you've done to the least, you've done it to me. Or in Colossians 3.11, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, slave or free, but that we're all one in Christ Jesus. Or in Colossians 1.27, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Or when Jesus appears to Saul on the road uh, in Acts 26.14, and he says, Saul, why do you persecute me? All of these verses are pointing to the same reality, that whatever we do to one person, we do to everyone. Whatever we do to anyone, we have done not just to Christ, but to ourselves, because we and Christ are all one. We are all connected to one another in these astounding ways that we are barely just beginning to comprehend and understand. I find it fascinating that that the scriptures uh, were telling us this, you know, 2,000 years ago, and we're only just now, through quantum science, beginning to connect the same dots and say, you know, they're right. <laughs> that is what reality is all about. And so maybe, maybe the greatest wisdom of all really is that we would learn how to be still and know that God is nearer than our own heartbeat, than our own breath, that God will never leave you or forsake you because it's impossible for you or I or the universe to exist apart from our connection with God. And that this God that we are connected to is love. And that means that you and I are forever loved, and connected with the God of everlasting love that will never fail or run dry or give up on us. If we can do that, if we can really press into this idea that we are loved, whether we feel it or not, we are connected with the God who is love, whether we feel it or not. And this love transcends knowledge. It's infinitely higher and wider and longer and deeper than any of us could ever, ever imagine. So that's my prayer for you and for myself, honestly, that we would all, as Paul says in Ephesians, have the power to grasp this love, this extravagant love, that we could be filled with the fullness of the Christ who fills everything and everyone in every way and begin to meditate on what does that mean for me and for everyone else around me? I believe if we truly get it, if we truly embrace it, and the more that we do meditate on it, the more that we do begin to walk that out and live that out, we cannot help but to love God and to receive love from God and to receive love from people around us because there's no difference. There's no separation between us and anyone else. We all are connected to a God who is love. We are all made in the image of a God who is love. 
There is no separation. We are all filled with the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And I hope that's encouraging to you. And I would just say too, if you are curious about this topic, if you're fascinated with this idea of exploring this, uh, the concepts of Christ in everyone and uh, this idea of the, the illusion of separation and uh, our oneness with God and with one another, I think you might enjoy this new series that I'm doing. Um, it's called The Inner Circle. It's a brand new um, subscription only uh, blog series that I'm doing over on Patheos. So you can find it by going to KeithGiles.com. That's where my blog lives on Patheos. KeithGiles.com will take you to my blog. And you'll begin to notice there, there's a couple of posts that are already out there called Inner Circle, and they're marked as premium content. So if you click on any of those premium content posts, um, you'll have an option to subscribe. It's only $5 a month. Um, and every week I'll post at least one, maybe more than one article uh, about the Gospel of Thomas. I'm going through the Gospel of Thomas, the sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas. And because uh, oddly enough, the sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas are all about this. Now, of course, we do see them, as we've already seen in this podcast, a whole lot of verses in the New Testament that also affirm this. Uh, but what we're doing specifically in this series, this inner circle uh, subscription, you know, sort of group that we've we've got going, um, is we want to take time to explore the, how it works out in uh, in the sayings of Jesus and Thomas. And so this is probably something that um, will eventually become a book. I don't know if it'll be my next book, but it'll definitely be a book in the future. Uh, I am really personally loving uh, diving into the Gospel of Thomas and the sayings of Jesus from Thomas. Uh, in this series, I'm also looking at the sort of the background of the history of the Gospel of Thomas, um, or when was it written, um, who wrote it, um, what what are the reasons that we should take it seriously, and uh, and all that other stuff. So there's some pretty fascinating. Uh, things that I've started to come across as I continue to study the Gospel of Thomas. And so you might be interested in that. And if so, I would encourage you to go to keithjiles.com, sign up there for the subscription. Again, there's already several posts already up there. And every week I'll be posting one or more sayings of Jesus and uh, the study that I'm doing. And down the road, uh, once we have you know a good group of people who are in that group, um, I'd like to be able to maybe do some private Zoom calls for subscribers where we could get on a Zoom call together and just talk about uh, what we're learning from uh, the sayings of Jesus and Thomas. And I could take your questions. We could look into some other specifics um, about the Gospel of Thomas and things like that. So, yeah, I just encourage you to join me over there. Uh, it's been a blast so far. And I want to thank all of you for listening to Second Cup with Keith. Thank you for taking time to spend this uh half hour with me. Um, I look forward to doing it again very, very soon. Every other week, we'll be right here. Uh, if you're listening on the Ethos Radio app, uh, thank you very much. You, if you're not, you can download that on the Apple Store or uh, on your App Store, whether Android or Apple. And um, you'll also then get, uh, in between Second Cup with Keith episodes, I do a, another podcast called Threads, which is also on the Ethos Radio app. And those are some conversations that I've had with some amazing people uh, over the years that I think would really encourage you. So once again, thank you so much for listening. I look forward to sharing a second cup with you all again very, very soon. Take care.